This is the Sideline Slice, presented by Valentino's Pizza, the official pizza of the Huskers. Here's your host, Jessica Cootie, and Huskers Radio Network analyst, Jeremiah Searles. Welcome back into the Sideline Slice. Jeremiah Searles, I'm Jessica Cootie. So a little preface here, we recorded this week's episode of the podcast at 8 a.m. this morning because Jeremiah is on his way to go hunting, get some elk this weekend or this entire week. And so we had to do it before we got on the road. Well, that we recorded before the news broke this morning. So didn't want to go this week without having a podcast discussing the news that Scott Frost has been uh, let go as the head coach of Nebraska football. So we are going to put the original podcast that we recorded this morning at the end of this one. So Jeremiah, I guess, first of all, initial reaction. You know, I, I didn't believe it at first. I thought people were screwing with me because um, I was driving and I was watching Sunday Ticket up on my phone. And all of a sudden I just started getting text after text after text. I was like, what is happening? And then finally someone called me and they're like, dude, did you see the news? Scott just got fired. And I was like, man, like there was this weird feeling of like, I didn't want to believe it because I didn't think it was going to happen yet. You know, there was a piece of me that was like after last night and after the Georgia Southern game, <clears throat> I was like, I don't know if you get, I don't know if you make it through the week, you know, but there's also part of it. It's like, you know, and we, we, look, we talked about it on the pod, like, was this the week for the change, right? Oklahoma week, lots going on. But, you know, I think that Trev Albert saw what he has need to see between last year, between the first three weeks of this year. And Trev is not someone that's just going to say, Oh, you know, maybe it'll get fixed. Maybe not. You know, Trev is a no nonsense. He wants things to get fixed. He wants things to be done right. And Scott was not performing to the standard that Trev had put out for him, you know? And so I think Trev had a really good press conference. I think him and Scott probably had a good meeting and Trev laid out the plan. And um, I think it's good. I really support uh, Trev Alberts in this because I think he wants to try and have a rebuild vision early in this season. Uh, naming Mickey Joseph as the interim, I think is a great move. You know, I think that this gives Mickey almost a little bit of a job interview. You know, it's kind of like, hey, do you want this? Or And I'm not saying that that's the, the handshake deal that when he came here, but, you know, this is going to be a good interview job for him to say, hey, how do you turn this around? Adversity is hit. How do you handle this? How do you move forward? And so I'm excited to see what this team looks like. I bet there's some really hard feelings around that locker room right now. There's some really hard long faces. There's some excitement. There's, there's so many mixed emotions in that locker room right now. But ultimately, I think this was the right move for Husker football right now. Yeah. Look, this is not what anybody wanted to happen. No. I mean, it's everybody wanted this to work. Trev said that. I mean, he, he talked about how much Scott Scott wanted it to work. Everybody wanted it to work. But I also do, and again, I think uh, there's a lot of speculation of why now. But I honestly think that Trev sees still some talent and potential in this football team. And if there's a chance to turn it around now – Hey, let's go for it. Absolutely. You know, I think everyone's human nature is to be afraid of change or to resist change, right? That's just human nature. No one, if no one likes a huge shakeup, you know, but sometimes that's exactly what you need as a football team, you know, and we talked about that on the offense, right? Like the offense last year just felt stale and stagnant. And so there was a huge shakeup with bringing coach Whipple in and a whole new staff. And well, that's done pretty well for us in the last, I mean, at least this last game, you know, but I think that, Overall, the program needed a change. The program needed a new voice. The program needed someone with new confidence. And I'm not saying that Scott was bad at that, but sometimes you just need a change. 
you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Like, I feel like that was where Trev was finally like, I've seen this movie before. I know how this movie ends. I don't want to see it again. I'm ready for something new. And so new doesn't mean that it's going to be good. New doesn't mean that it's going to be bad. It's just going to be different. And I'm very curious to see what that different looks like for Husker football. I will say this from what I've seen. And I'll tell you this. We were talking about when we could record the podcast. I told you I went to a life skills event tonight where they had special needs kids come in and it was, it was an incredible event. There was tons of kids. You want to talk about perspective in a time where you're, you know, thinking about all these other things and a lot of kids were there and their families and you want to know who was there. Oshawn Mathis, AJ Allen. There were several football players that were there that had committed to being there that were there and were all in on helping these kids. And so I just, you know, I think that, and then going back to Mickey Joseph and being the guy and seeing how the guys interact with him, I think from my perspective, at least for a, a number of the guys, I think they will not, they'll respond and they will take this as a positive and try to move on. It's never easy to lose your head coach. I mean, a lot of these guys came to play for Scott Frost, but I truly believe there's enough guys on these, on this team that still believe in the guys in the locker room ultimately, and the players that are around them that they'll want to keep moving forward and not just let this season go to a complete waste. No. Yeah. I think that's part of the reason of doing it early too, <clears throat> you know, is like you fire coach Frost week nine, right. Week 10, like there's kind of like, well, this season's a wash it's over. Why even keep trying, right? Like you fired him going with three games up. There's still a lot of football left in this season. So you nailed it. Like there's still so much to play for. Like we're one and two. There's still hope of a bowl. Game. And only still... one conference game being played in Northwestern. Correct. Yeah. Like, there's so much to be played for. I think that was a calculated move on Trev's part, too, to be like, if we do this now, like, there could be some new life, some new invigoration in this team to really push us over that next time. Because I agree with you. There's enough talent on this team to win, like, at every position. Now, I don't think that there's – there's right now we're lacking some depth in those key positions, but there is talent in time in, on this team to win. So bring in some new coaches, bring in someone that's maybe going to have a new standard or, again, just change of how they go about things. Maybe you'll have some cream that rises to the crop. Maybe you have some new guys that will get in there. And, you know, another piece, when you have a new head coach or when you, you have a new voice at the top, it kind of levels the playing field for everyone again where it's like new new competition, new um, things that come in. Like, But ultimately, it's good. You know, and I, I really hate saying that because I didn't cheer for Coach Frost to lose his job. Like, I don't like when people lose their job. And that's the that's just the bad part of this business from being well, a player a in the former NFL. Fellow, former fellow Husker. Right. Yeah. No, like, I, I, no one wanted Coach Frost to get fired. Like, no one was, like, beating his – like, that's not what I wanted. That's not what anyone wanted. But everyone that played for the university or has worn the end before, like, we just want Nebraska to be good and relevant again. And that might mean we have to start over again. And that sucks. But you're right. There's a lot to play for this year. There's a lot of people going on. The number one thing that's going to be hard, though, is you have to make sure this locker room doesn't start to split. You can't have now, like, Frost guys and Mickey Joseph guys, right? Like, th that can kill a team, and that can derail everything. Like, everyone has to be on the same page moving forward of, like, no, we are Nebraska. Whoever's leading us, we follow them. There can't be any of this, like, well, Scott used to do it like this, or Coach Frost did this, or, or when it just can't do that because that's a cancer, and that'll kill the locker room.
how, how do you go about that then? How do the, I mean, the leaders, I know you, um, you never went through this, right? So, but like, no. what's the key of keeping a team together? And I will say this, and this is what I thought would um, help this team get over that. Cause if there were any mental blocks of, Hey, can we win these close games? I, I thought there was enough new players coming in. And, and I, I told you this, that on the sidelines that a lot of those players that are new are the ones that are like up still on the sidelines, even when things are going wrong. Uh, Marcus Washington, Hunter, Anthony, like these, there's these transfers, Oshawn Mathis, these guys that, Hey, w- Hey, it's okay. We're going to figure this out. But like for, so for the new guys that are still, that came here to try to win and, and took a chance to come here to win. And then, you mix that with the older guys that have been here and been around, I guess, how do you move forward from this as a team? You know, you got to rely on your leaders. You know, you got to look to your captains. You look to Travis Volkolek. You look to Garrett Nelson, Caleb Tanner, like Nick Henrich. You look to those guys because being a leader is the hardest thing you can do. But there's a reason you were put in that position, regardless of who puts you there, whether Frost puts you there or your teammates put you there. Like, it's your job to rally the troops. And I think that that's going to be really hard right now because most of our league captains are on defense and our defense is reeling right now. So it is going to fall on guys like Casey Thompson, Marcus Washington, you know, guys that are performing well on the field, you become a natural leader because of your performance. And so those guys have to step up and really just kind of go about business as usual. You know, I think that's the biggest thing. Don't make a mountain out of a molehill here. Like, yes, the head coach is gone and things are going to change, but like your day-to-day isn't going to be drastically different. You have to continue to go about your business and how you prepare and how you practice because guess what? Oklahoma doesn't give a crap that Scott Frost is gone. They're still coming to town and they're still coming to play. Like you can't dwell on something that your opponent's not dwelling on. You still have to prep this every single week And that's what kind of keeps you focused and keeps you in a rhythm. And you try and silence the outside noise by just focusing on the ball, focusing on what you can control between the white lines. And if you can start controlling that and really focusing on that, everything else will start to fall into place. Well, it's um, obviously not an easy conversation to have. And I've only been here. This is only my second season, barely a year, but um, Coach Frost was great to me. He's been great to me this year on the sideline, the three games that I've been doing it. And it's not what you want to happen. And so, and I know you as a former player, as someone that also worked with the radio, you have thoughts as well and um, sentiments for Coach Frost. Yeah, you know, since the day he came back, he's welcomed the alumni back with open arms. He's told us that this was our home. I mean, I was still playing when coach Frost got the job and he allowed us to come back and train and work out and whatever we needed, he opened the doors for all of us to when I was retired and I was just around, he had me there to where I was on the sideline. He was always great with me with the halftime interviews, you know, I did have to run after him, but that's fine. Um, You know, but just, he's always been great to me and he's been great to the former players. And, you know, I think that all the former players will wish him nothing but the best. I know I wish him nothing but the best. I hope that he can find success in whatever he moves forward with. And I thank him for his time here at Nebraska. I know being the head coach of Nebraska is not easy. It's not an easy job. It's There's a reason that we've gone through this. This job is demanding because we demand so much out of our program because we expect so much because we are a blue blood program. So I know it wasn't easy on him. He went through the ups and downs. 
he stood at the podium and took the, the arrows for his kids. And I will always respect that. So best of luck from me to coach Frost. I thank him for everything and whatever future endeavors he'd have. I will always support him. All right. So that is our, um, our thoughts on coach Frost and this program moving forward. Now we'll let you hear our original recorded podcast of takeaways from the game against Georgia Southern and what to watch for against Oklahoma right after this. Valentino's has been a Nebraska tradition since 1957. Get the big red double jumbo deal. Two one-topping jumbo pizzas for only $18.29 each. Well, welcome into another edition of the Sideline Slice. I'm Jessica Cootie with Jeremiah Searles. And first of all, I've got to apologize if it sounds, looks a little bit different. It is 8 a.m. on Sunday morning. And of course, we had a late night game and then i didn't even get home till like six hours ago from the stadium and then i was not going to ask the producers to come in and set up the studio so we're zooming this thing because jeremiah is about to go on his weekly or yearly Yearly. hunting trip and so you're about to be completely off the grid (laughs) yeah i am unplugged i am gone i am see you later as of noon tomorrow i will be chasing bull elk in the mountains of colorado so i appreciate you jumping on at 8 a.m but you know what I'm okay with it because I'm still I'm still freshly out of this game. I'm still very freshly uh, the 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 emotion and the nerve is a little raw this morning. It's Listen, a little I, raw. I gotta tell you, I just woke up like five ten minutes ago, and my first thought when I woke up was like, "Was that a dream?" <laughs> <laughs> I did. I'm like, "Did I dream that? Did I dream that?" I mean, my my sister in law went to the game for the first time ever with her husband. It's their first Husker game. And she texts me in the middle of the fourth quarter. And she was like, this is amazing. This is the most entertaining game I've ever been to. I was like, yeah, unfortunately, like I get it. Like if you were the casual fan, that was a fantastic football game last night. Mm -hmm. You loved it. It was, it had drama. It had excitement. It had back and forth. But when you've been a suffering lifelong Husker fan, like, you know what those games are supposed to be. You know what those games are supposed to be. And they're what every game this in week two for Power 5 programs are supposed to be. Tune-up games. They're supposed to be tune-up games. They're supposed to be get-right games. They're supposed to be let's get everyone on the field. Let's get the young guys some development. Like, that's what those games are supposed to be. They're not supposed to be 45 to 40, what was it, 45, 42 shootouts with an FCS opponent. It, it, it's just not what it's supposed to be. And that's a struggle. That's a tough thing to, to swallow for uh, a former player as – Husker Nation, I can't imagine the feeling. Um, you might be able to speak to this. What that stadium felt like at the end of that game, I can just imagine it was just like a morgue. Yeah, it was. It was pretty quiet and um, shocked. I think. I think everybody was pretty shocked. Um, I will say this though: Nebraska wasn't the only team that uh, got no. beat yesterday by a team they quote unquote should not have been beat by. No, I mean, you're right. Yeah, and the Sun Belt had a freaking day. Yeah. How about, I mean, I mean, I don't know how much we paid um, Georgia Southern, but I saw that there was an Instagram where it was like, Notre Dame paid Marshall $1.8 million to come get beat. And then um, Texas A&M. I think it's like 1.5 or something. Yeah, and then Texas A&M paid App State, like yeah. something similar. So like, yeah, it, and we talked about this on the podcast last year. The gap of the gap of competitive football between the group of fives FCS and power five is very much closing. Like, and I will say there, the talent gap is closing. However, 
I don't think it should be as close as it was yesterday. Like it, it, I could see it like the days of the 63 to fives or 63 to sevens, like, okay, but like these still need to be 45 to 17 or 56 to 21. Like those are the type of scores you expect to see out of these games, not these nail biters or even getting beat. And especially too with the COVID year and having so many old players, like we we talked about that last week. Georgia Southern had a ton of sixth and seventh year guys, mm-hmm. seniors. They were not going to come in here intimidated. I mean, Kyle Van Trees played here last year, and so that's another part of it too. I think you throw in that a lot of these teams are kind of are older now too, and so they you know did not for a second look intimidated yesterday at all about by Nebraska. So that uh, doesn't help either, but I guess, um, yeah, let's start with the offense. I, let's, <laughs> let's start with, with something. Let's, let's start with a little something, a little happy on let's a start Sunday with the morning. Sunshine. Um, yeah. The offense balled out and they were yeah. balanced and Anthony Grant, three uh, games in a row to start the season over a hundred yards. Uh, the, on, the ground game had it going. Casey had it flying around. The offense was clicking and did enough to win that game yesterday. Yeah, if you score 42 points, you should win the football game. I mean, it's really, it's that simple, you know, and whether you're playing a Big Ten or, or a lesser opponent, 42 points should be enough to win a football game. And I really enjoyed watching this offense yesterday. You know, I thought, like you said, they were balanced. I think you saw some guys starting to pop. I think Grant and A.J. Allen is starting to become a really nice combo, which kudos you and I, we called this back in August, and everyone was like, oh, who? And we're like, no, A.J. Allen's going to be a baller. So I'm really excited to see him continuing to get more and more involved. Zero chance he redshirts this year. I think, yeah. I mean, Grant and Allen are our two best backs on this football team. Well, and Anthony so, can't tote it every single time. you got to have no. somebody that you can call on that can still go in there and make stuff happen. And we've, we've seen A.J. Allen. It can be that guy. And But they're very comparable. You know, like, it's not like thunder and lightning or like how everyone likes to have, like, all the flash and, and mm-hmm. the hard or Like, I think they're two very comparable backs, right? They don't have any fear of putting their head down and getting downhill. And they both have really good elusiveness when they get out on the edge. When you have two backs that I can call, quote-unquote, complete backs, that's really beneficial for an offense. So I love seeing those two. And then, I mean, you think about this offense is still missing the only offensive captain on this football team, Travis Vokalek. You add him back in the mix, like, whew, this offense yeah. can get really, really good. You know, And I think la- this was the jump that I wanted to see them take from Northwestern to North Dakota. Right. That this was the jump I wanted to see. And I didn't see it last week. And I, I wasn't I didn't pull any punches. I, I said it needed to be better. This week I saw that jump. And granted, it was Georgia Southern, but I saw the jump. I saw the execution. I saw balls being put where they need to be. Receivers were creating separation. There was holes in the running game. Like this was a most complete offensive game that I've seen out of the Huskers this year. And they need to build off of this because if we have to score 50 to win every game, we're going to have to find a way to go score 50. Yeah. And I think um, for me, and then just the, the weapons that were on display, which you mentioned to the, the uh, wide receivers, how they, they made boys some big catches too, and, and multiple wide receivers. But I, I don't think they, I didn't expect them to click like that yesterday because it needed to be better after last week, but talking with the players and stuff, you know, there's a lot of new pieces, a lot of new players playing together for the first time and coaches figuring out how to coach together. So I didn't think I did not, I expected them to, to make improvements, but I didn't expect them to come out and click like that in one week. And so that is certainly a positive. Well, I mean, you look at, I mean, look at the two, the two top receivers on our team, Trey Palmer and Marcus Washington. I mean, 
Both guys, six catches. Marcus Washington, 123 yards, averaging 20 yards of catch, which is insane. Trey Palmer, 81 yards, averaging 13 yards of catch. I mean, those are deep shots. Mm-hmm. I think that everyone thinks that, oh, we're a quick passing game, but, like, we are not afraid to take shots. And I think that was something that was lacking from this team last year. You know, how many times we were like, Adrian, push it down the field. Right? Like, you just hear, like, Casey Thompson and Whipple are not afraid to dial it up and take shots down the field. And so far from what I've seen, Casey Thompson has been really accurate with some of those throws. I mean, that ball that he threw to Marcus Washington that he was down at the one was pinpoint accuracy. You know, so I've seen some really good shots. So I love the way this receiver room's coming together. Shout out Mickey Joseph for what he's done in that receiving room compared to what they were a year ago to where they are now, even though it's different bodies, like the development and everything, like he has done some incredible work on the offensive side of the ball. You know, it's fascinating being down there too and listening to Mickey Joseph coach. And I know you you got to experience it during the spring game, but he he they want that. They they he instills that mentality in them that like hey you give us a one-on-one matchup throw us the ball we're going up and getting it he talks about making 50 50 balls 80 20 like it's 80 20 we have the advantage and so those wide receivers are not scared to go out and compete and to me those are the guys that on the sidelines are like and marcus washington came off the after scoring the touchdown that when he had the incredible catch Mm -hmm. uh the last touchdown he said we're not losing this football game you know he was one of the ones that was like trying to get people, Hey, we're not going to lose this football game. And so, and he's a new guy, you know? So I think the, the mentality and the mindset that now that we have from the offense, it's kind of crazy how it's flipped a little bit, how the offense are the, are the ones that really truly believe. And it's kind of the defense that you see some doubt in over there on the sidelines. Yeah. I mean, talk about a flip from last year, right? I mean, the offense was the black sheep of the family last year. The defense is holding Ohio state to 21 points and special we can't teams was the black sheep. Of yeah, the that's true. Special teams was the absolute <laughs> black sheep of the entire state last year. But you know, it, it, I think you're onto something there. You're speaking to something because I was thinking about this last night. I'm thinking, man, there is one offensive captain one and he's not playing. And the rest of this team's leadership is on the defensive side of the ball. So when things are going array, and I mean going off the rails, and we can start getting into the defense because I have thoughts. Like <laughs> when we there. start, when 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 things start going off the rail, like I'm not sure who you rally to, right? Like it's hard to rally to Garrett Nelson, and it's hard to rally to Caleb Tanner and stuff when they're out there getting beat like a drum. You know, it's hard as an offense to look at a captain and be like, you're just not pulling your weight. Which times they did to Adrian last year. Which times it was they did to Austin Allen. But like you know. I think those guys were were trying, like, and I'm not saying these guys aren't trying, but it's like when things are just going off the rails and there's no captain slash, I know I'm saying like leader on that offensive side of the ball for the defense to look to, right? When the defense to be like, man, we are struggling. We are in a tough spot right now, mentally, physically, whatever it is. Like they don't have anyone to look to on that side of the ball right now that's considered a leader. And I think we're learning, like you said, Marcus Washington. I think you're seeing some out of Casey Thompson, like, but missing Vokalek in that role. I think is playing a massive part for the psyche of this football team. I think Nick Henrich too. I think he's a guy that's more of a, um, you know, cause Garrett Nelson is, is a raw, raw guy. He's the energy guy, but I think Nick's the guy that is, come on. Let's he's the go. glue. Nick and is he, the glue. And Nick tra- is the glue that holds everything together in my opinion. And, and he's trying to do that from the sidelines, but it's just so challenging to do when mm. you're not in uniform. And so to me, I think, if you would have told me we would be missing Nick more than Travis, I wouldn't have believed you. But I think at this point, that injury is proving to be 
more of a detriment to this football team than Travis Volkolek. And I, that's, that's a little bit shocking, but that's yeah. kind of to me how it seems right now. Yeah. You know, I, 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 and I will say this, I think Ernest is going to be a really good player. Yes. I think yeah. he's shown some flashes. He's just a young cat. Um, you know, it's a lot a to cat. ask a true freshman. It's a lot. Do. It's a lot to ask a true freshman to step into that role early in the season. Right, like he's still getting his feet wet of seeing what a game plan week looks like and all that. And all of a sudden it's like, hey, buddy, you're starting. Like, time to roll. You know, that's a hard thing to ask for a young player. And I thought he's done well in that, but you're right. he's no Nick Henrich. He's just not. Yeah, I mean, and, and he's grown a lot and it's... it's um The upside he, is much higher, oh, obviously. Oh, he, he's going to be a stud, but it's just, it's... You know, I, I go back to my time at Oklahoma and, and um, Kenneth Murray, who's now playing mm-hmm. for the Chargers and got drafted Great in the player. second round. He started as a true freshman and it's almost like deja vu because people saw, I mean, he had the talent and there were flashes, but he was the first linebacker to start for Oklahoma and since like the seventies or something right. like that. And so he, you know, you're just, it's just, so, it's so much to ask for a true freshman to play that spot. And Ernest is making tremendous growth each week, but it's just, you know, you, you need him to be Nick Henrich right now. And right. he can't, he can't be Nick Henrich. Well, yeah. I mean, when the other thing, if we're talking injuries right now, man, Teddy Prohaska, yeah. Oh, buddy, that that's a scary one. You know, didn't come back in the game. You said on the sideline, you know, I think that you thought that he was walking around. I, I didn't listen to the broadcast. I was watching TV last night, but I'm sure you gave us update. Like, so tell people here that we weren't listening. Like, what did you see from Teddy coming off the sideline there? Yeah, so he limped off and he went into the medical tent. They took off the knee brace, but I don't think I. I mean, again, I don't know because we don't know. They, obviously. Zi- they zipped up, and yeah. I'm not making any kind of speculation. I don't usually i'll just say this usually when someone tears an acl they put a big brace on it or tears anything you put a big brace on it and you sit down and you do not stand up (laughs) or you go back to the locker room especially at home and he was up standing around walking up and down the sidelines that's good news you know didn't have so there's something on his leg i don't know if he got maybe um you know like a knee to the thigh or if he pulled something or but to me it did not appear to be something that because i I tore both my acls i know what it's like you don't you're you're not i've torn walking around when he got up and ran off the field i was like okay i think he's gonna be okay yes yeah i mean so i don't think it's i don't think it's something that serious but Hopefully. we don't know yeah we don't yeah. know yeah right now we don't know and but i mean you and i talked about it, i think on one of the first podcasts like that was a position that we were very thin at you know like and, and you and i i think we maybe even spoke off like we're one or two injuries away from being in big trouble on the offensive line now i will say this i think kevin williams came in and played really well i was you gonna know, have to I, say that i thought he i thought, he, looked pretty I thought good. he came in for a guy to come in cold like that is really hard to do i mean in a game that is very fast tempo very we need to score now like can't take any time off Came in, didn't allow any sacks, didn't allow any hurries, thought he did some good things in the run game. Like, I specifically was watching him when he came in, and I think that he held his own. So that's very, very helpful. Now, my question may be is, do they leave Turner at guard, or they maybe bump Turner out, or kind of what do you do here with Oklahoma knocking on the door? But, you know, that's something to keep an eye on here next week when we run out there. If you don't have your twin towers on the edge of Ben Hart and and Teddy, you know, kind of who's filling that role? Yeah, it's going to be a huge storyline to follow as we go along. Um, hopefully, he's uh, it's not too serious and, and he'll be back. Okay, um, I guess let's get Do into it. it. Bring it up. Bring it Defense. up. Defense. I mean, just embarrassing. start. It's just- embarrassing. It's an embarrassing performance by the defense, you know, and I think that as I watched – 
and I, and I tweeted about this during the game, Chenander has not in the kids, but he has lost faith in his ability to send four and get to the quarterback. And that became very apparent throughout the game. He had to send five. You saw Luke Reimer hitting the A-gap 90% of the time after the first quarter because he was trying to find a way to give his pass rushers one-on-one matchups, right? When you send the fifth guy up the A-gap, you're saying 5-0, someone win, and we didn't. Not often. You know, the best play came when Garrett Nelson came around the edge in the end, I think it was in the fourth, and hit the quarterback's arm, and we got the interception at the one-yard line to go 99. That was the one time I felt like we really affected Kyle Vantries with the pass rush. And when you do that, when you go and say, okay, we have to rush five, you are now putting a bunch of stress on your back end. Anytime you take even one guy out of the coverage equation, you're not putting a bunch of stress. And I saw people all over the internet. Why are we playing so soft? Why are we playing zone? Why are we pressing these corners? You can't do it unless you have so much faith in your cornerbacks that you're not going to get burned deep. Because when you send five and someone, all it takes is one guy to get burned, that ball's out and it's a big play. So you're seeing Quentin Newsom off the ball, Tawny Hill off the ball, Miles Farmer off the ball, Isaac Gifford off the ball. And that's how you get 407 yards thrown against you on dink and dunks. Like it was, it was no big, long, huge 80 yard pass. There were play. a couple. There were a couple. Yeah, but overall, the last drive was the last a- drive. But I mean, if you really want to break it down quarter by quarter, like, it was slant routes and hook routes and yeah. like over the middle routes. Like it was just dinks and dunks. And we talked about it week zero. I was like, this is a problem for Nebraska. It was a problem at the end of the year last year. And we are going to continually get it tested. And I don't know what the fix is, Jessica. I really don't. I don't know where it's all of a sudden it's like the light bulb's just going to click and we're going to be like, oh yeah, we got it. Unless people start getting home in the pass rush with not having to send five. Okay, so I guess that's where people are going to ask what typically should. So it's it's all about guys getting to the quarterback. Getting It's a combination. It's guys getting to the quarterback and also corners not being scared and being able to get up there and press those guys and, and f- challenge them. You know, when a corner feels threatened, the corner gives some space. Right, If he's afraid to get blown by or the coverage is set in a certain way where it's like he has to cover a quarter of the field or whatever it is, like you can't get up and challenge these receivers in their face. You know, Georgia Southern had some really good receivers. I mean, the two of those guys are going to play in the NFL. Like the, the Littleton and uh, what was the other guy? The guy that got hurt, which I felt horrible for, number zero. Um, those two dudes are NFL talented receivers. And those guys ate Tommy Hill lunch and Quentin Newsom's lunch all night. You know, and we're going to see – NFL receivers from here on out, mm-hmm. you know, starting this week, starting yeah. with Oklahoma, they have NFL receivers and everyone in the big 10 at least has one, including our own Marcus Washington and Trey Palmer are NFL receivers, you know, like, so we see it and that's the problem. Like we see it in practice, but there's not happening in the game. If we can't get up and stop this short passing game, it's just going to be really a long season for this defense. It wasn't just a short passing game though. They also had a day on the ground. And so there, there were just some wide holes that mm-hmm. uh, their running backs were able to run through too. So I guess, what did you see in that and how does that get fixed? Yeah. You know, I'm looking here at the rushing stats and it, they had kind of a running back by committee thing. They had one guy with 132 yards another guy with 85 yards. But I mean, the fact that they're running back, he averaged 13.2 yards a carry. 
Mm-hmm. That's insane. That's 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 literal. That's literal insanity. Like you shouldn't allow a team to come in here on your own home turf and just do whatever they want. You know, we talked about how great the Husker offense was and how much fun that was to watch. How do you think that the podcast, the sideline sliced down in Georgia Southern right now, how happy do you think they are, right? I mean, they literally came in here and carved up a Nebraska defense that last year was extremely good. And I think that a lot of it is our depth on our front, which we're going to have, we're going to talk about all year. I mean, it's just one thing that that is the one thing you cannot fix midseason is depth. You, there's no magic wand to just bibbity bobbity boo. And you've got nine guys that all of a sudden can go out there and compete. You know, but you see when Colton Feast and when Ty Robinson and guys like that come out, like there's a big drop off. But the problem is those dudes are getting worn out already. I see it. Those dudes are already getting beat down. And it's because they ran. I don't even know how many snaps they ran last night, but they have to be over close to 70 snaps at plus for the last three games. That's going to be a long road to hoe if that's what it's going to be. And so. Again, it goes back to not a lot of depth up front, so you can't rotate guys and keep guys fresh. And it goes back to you have a rookie freshman linebacker, right? You have those two things. And and I don't like singling guys out, and I'm not going to single a single, but our safeties have to tackle better, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Our safeties angles and our uh, their ability to come up and put their nose where they need to be in their gap assignment football have to be better because if your safeties can't tackle – you see big chunk plays. And that's what happened way too many times last night. Safeties were hesitant. They didn't shoot their gun. They didn't come up and make the tackle. And you saw big run plays, one of which for a big touchdown. One more positive to go back to from last night, Saturday night. Hey, Brian Bushini is solid as a punter. Yes. Yes. Like and he, we're going to need him to be. <laughs> that's a weapon. That, yes. And it's such a huge weapon that was not available last year but i mean that's that's good to have a guy like that he's been as advertised yeah i mean you talk about if you have a defensive struggling the worst thing you can do is give them horrible field position you know and i think bushimi's done a great job of managing the field position flipping the field when we needed him to pinning deep you know he's done a really nice job so love to see him continuing to grow And again, if you can have a weapon like that, when you get in that no man's land of like the 40 to the 35 and it's, do I kick a field goal? Do I punt? And you have trust in your punter that he can pin him inside the five. Like that absolutely flips the field position and changes the entire courses of the game. Okay. So you just talked about it a little bit, Oklahoma coming in. A lot of people have asked me about it, but this is still a team. It's pretty much a brand new team from what uh, Nebraska faced a year ago with the new coaches there's new players, new quarterback, all of the above. I will say this. Um, my brother watched both games, and he's the, while Oklahoma's identity used to be the last several years all about the offense, that that the identity now for Oklahoma is within the defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at just their last few games, so, I mean, they held Kent State yesterday to three points. Um, you know, they played really good football. I think week, what was it? That was their first game. No, they played UTEP. And they haven't really th- played anybody. They haven't played anyone is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, they haven't played anyone. But that being said, they've held in, they've held both teams to a total of 16 points. So in two games, they have allowed 16 points. We allowed 16 points in the first 12 minutes. But neither here nor there. You think that you look at what Oklahoma wants to do. Like they're still going to have the identity of spread you out and let you out athlete you. 
on the offensive side, right? That's just an identity thing for them that they're not just going to abandon. But you're right. The identity for the whole on the defensive side is where now you get the team embodiment of the defense. Physicality is something that I watched a little bit of that Kent State game yesterday. You know, physicality on a Big 12 front is not something you're used to seeing. Right, you're used to seeing the finesse and the go, but like I saw some, I saw some physicality out of this Oklahoma front yesterday. Linebackers, the defense, defense, yep, the defensive front. You know, linebackers flying downhill and hitting linemen in the a gap, tackle for losses. I think they have, they have a lot of TFLs. Yeah, I was just thinking of that. Yeah, they had so uh, last night they had nine tackles for loss and six sacks, and in the first game they had. Three sacks and 14 tackles for loss. I mean, yeah, that's that aggression I'm talking about. Like, they're going to take the fight to us on our offensive side, especially after the performance that we just had. You know, I think think he's going to turn the heat up on us and send a lot of pressure after us, especially if we're missing our starting left tackle. We're missing our starting left tackle. He's going to send pressure. He's going to make Casey Thompson get the ball out of his hand quick. And they're going to play the game of get on him, get on him, get on him, and hope that eventually he makes a mistake. You know, you got to remember, they, he, this team played Casey Thompson last year. So it's a different scheme, but they know who this guy is, right? They know what he can do. And he lit them up last year. And then it all came off the rails, right? Like, so there, there's this back and forth of this thing. It's an exciting thing. I think Casey Thompson is going to be super geared up for this. But defensively, this is a different defense to Oklahoma football team than we are used to seeing. Yeah, Casey Thompson uh... – lit OU up and his defense couldn't get a stop. Um, so let's uh, hope that that is not deja vu for Casey Thompson. But yeah, I, I think of all all the players, Casey, O'Shawn Mathis is a guy mm-hmm. that has faced Oklahoma and knows is not going to be intimidated either. So, you know, and, and I, I do think, though, you, you talked about the physicality. And just the the size that bothered Oklahoma a year ago, mm-hmm. and even still, you you look at Oklahoma really hasn't played anybody, hasn't been challenged, and Nebraska's been challenged in the three games so far this season, and you know has had a little bit more time to, I guess, um, figure some things out. <laughs> but could that be an advantage? I guess for Nebraska, the fact that. Uh, they've had three games under the belt that they've had to figure out, you know, how to battle at the end. Yeah, but the problem is we've lost two of those. <laughs> it, it, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's it, you're on the right track. You're you're on the right track of like, if we would have been three and zero and we had this like find a way to win and we found a way to win, then yeah, that's a huge advantage. The problem is we found a way to lose, and so that's where it gets really tough. Where it's like that doubt that sits in the back of your mind as a player. And I've had it. Like I've been on team. We were six and 10 in Buffalo. We were not very good. And I played in Minnesota. We were eight and eight. Like there's this certain level of doubt that when you go into a football game against an opponent that is better than you. And you think during the week, like I can beat this team. But then when something starts to go wrong, there's this seed of doubt. That's like, Oh boy, here we go again. That's what they're going to have to battle this week now, because when adversity has hit, at least on the defensive side of the ball so far, like it's kind of gone into our shell. That can't happen this week. Like Oklahoma's going to score. They're, they're going to score. It's going to happen. How we respond and all we need is maybe four or five stops, maybe two, three stops, because hopefully we can go score. We just can't let it get off the rails. So, yes, there is an advantage to how many games we have played, but I think there's also an advantage on the Oklahoma side that work might be a little bit more of an emotionally wore out football team. 
You know, I think that Oklahoma's got some high emotions right now. They had some starters that didn't have to play. They got some backups in. Like emotionally, they're riding a little bit of a high. We've been on such a roller coaster of emotion that we might be kind of an emotionally low football team, even though it's Oklahoma, Nebraska, just because it's Newton's law. What comes up must come down eventually. I will say this, though. It's a huge opportunity. And so when you Absolutely. come off a, a, a devastating loss to turn it around to play, probably Oklahoma's probably going to be in the top five or mm -hmm. at least close. They're probably going to move top, up. They'll be they'll be top seven, He's, probably. Well, they are I mean, number they are seven. seven. Yeah, they, I don't think they'll go down. Got, Texas A&M oh, got yeah. beat. So they'll at least move up a little Fight bit. Fight nap states. Um, so, you know, huge opportunity. And mm -hmm. then when, you know, you know this now, you're an agent, and then I have a scout friend that when they go to look at tape for the NFL, the game from last year that Nebraska played Oklahoma, that was the game that scouts go back and watch. And so this is an opportunity for some of these players that want to go to the next level. Hey, show that you can face up against some of these guys. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, when, you, when you're a scout and you only have – or you're a GM and you only have 30 minutes to evaluate a guy, you're not turning on North Dakota tape. You're turning on Oklahoma tape. You're turning on saying, like, hey, who's, who's this person going against that, like we talked about, is Sunday talent? You know, so if you're one of these corners or you're one of these DBs and you're talking about, hey, I want to go to the league, you better step it up, you know, splash, show out, show up. Vice versa on the other side of the ball, right? Trey Palmer, Marks Washington, Travis Vokalek, like show up in a big way. You know, this was kind of uh, last year, the Oklahoma game, like was a little bit of Vokalek's coming out party and yeah. a huge catch, right? Like, so if he's back and I, I think he will be, I don't he, know. I, I, I really think he's I, back. I think they were being cautious and he was jumping around last night yeah, when you know, he was I getting think, excited. I agree. I think no, they were no tape on the ankle. And I, yeah. I I wouldn't be surprised to see Nick Hendricks back this week. Right. I think, I think we'll have our full cast of characters, which will help, but you know that you're exactly right. If you come out here and you want to have aspirations to play in the NFL, like it's time to show up on the big stage, big noon kickoff, all eyes on you. Like it's time for someone to step up and show out Garrett Nelson, maybe Caleb Tanner, right? Like have that breakout game where getting to the quarterback is now contagious. O'Shawn Mathis, you know, it, sometimes sacks hits, hurries come in, come in bunches when the other guys have FOMO, right? Where it's like, oh, he's getting there. I want to get there. It's like, well, just get there. Just always get there. Like meet at the quarterback. So there's a lot of opportunity. And when opportunity knocks, you never really know who's going to step up. I just hope that we're able to recover emotionally from last night. How, how do you do that? How do you do that? It's hard. And, and everyone's different. You know, it depends on how quickly you are able to flush it. Everyone says the 24-hour rule, right? It's the 24-hour rule, 24-hour rule. But we live in an age where you can't escape it unless you just delete everything off your phone and don't like it's hard to escape it. So I think the biggest thing is you just have to really, you have to be able to have a armadillo skin in the meeting room and take hard coaching and take hard criticism and be able to understand that it's not them singling you out. It's because they need you to play better and B you have to be a really good self reflector and be able to honestly look yourself in the mirror and go, am I doing everything that I possibly can to help this football team win from nutrition to my lifting to showing up and going to class, the details matter. Am I doing everything I can? And then having the ability to be a leader and not be liked and pull the teammates with you. Because that's what this week's going to be about. Can this team stay together? Or is this team going to start unraveling at the seams? Because when things start going awry and guys start yelling at each other and you've seen it, I've seen it, like it happens, like that can't. You have to stay connected. You have to stay bonded. And that's going to require some guys to step up and be leaders and come out of their comfort zone and say, hey, 
I'm calling you out on this because I love you and you're my teammate and you're my brother, but that's got to be better. And it has to come from a place of respect and a place of love, but also has to be received on the side of respect and I'd love. And that's how we're going to get through this and band together. If we start fighting and bickering amongst ourselves as a team, we've already lost. I will say this. I didn't see any of that. I, I mean, yes, were there times that the offense was like, you know, but there was no bickering or fighting. And in fact, the offensive players were going to the, hey, you know, we need you. You got this. And and Marcus Washington was one of those guys that was uh, talking with the defensive backs. And um, but I, so I haven't seen any of that. But on the flip side of that, the coaches on the offense have said this. And even Scott Frost told me this at halftime. Uh, at this point, we're going to have to go score every time. And that's what Mickey Joseph was saying. Uh, Donovan Rayola was saying, I mean, hey, we got to have the mentality that when we're, when we're on the field, we got to go score every time. So I think that clicked because they did not, the offense did not look as good last week. So no. I think there was something that clicked in the mentality of the offense last night. And I think they will take a lot of confidence away into this week. Agreed. I think they're going to come into this with a lot of confidence. It really held high. You know, it's so funny. A year ago, we were sitting here and the defense was like, we have to keep them to seven. We got to keep them to seven, right? Like, it's just such a drastic flip. And so as a defense, you know, that can be hard to hear. Where It's like, yeah, we have to score every time. But you hope it's a little bit of motivation for them. You know, it's like, hey, even, okay, our offense is going to go score every time. That means you only have to stop them once. Yeah. Right, like we only got to stop them once. Like that's why I said, if you can get three stops on Oklahoma and we are on a roll and we're throwing the ball over the yard, like, great. That's not realistic to think we're going to score every time, but I think the mentality is the right one. That's how every off every offense should walk on the field to start of every drive, thinking I'm scoring six. We're scoring six. We're scoring six. So that's a really good mentality to have. But you're right; they have a ton of confidence as they should, which they needed. They took a big jump from week one to week two or week through to week three, whatever we want to call it because of the week zero, which is what we talked about wanting to see last week, right? Like I called for that. We saw it on the offensive side. Now I'm calling. We need it from the defensive side. I'm not saying we need to take a drastic jump. It just has to be much better than it was last week. And I don't think it's an effort thing. I don't think, I think it's some fundamental stuff. I think it's some technique stuff. And I think it's some finish stuff. I think those three things are all coachable. Um, I think Chenander is going to get after these dudes and coach these dudes hard. I know Chins. He's a phenomenal coach. He's not going to just go quietly into the night here. Like he's going to find a way to get this fixed. I'd love to see them rise to the occasion and rise to the bell against Oklahoma this week. Hey, if Travis Bokaluk is back, he's going to be a match matchup problem this week. Yes, absolutely. He's a matchup problem in the NFL. Every week, every week. Yes. But you know, we, we saw it last year. Oklahoma doesn't, they don't have guys that can cover They're It's not, they're just, they're not as big. They're built different. Yeah. Yes. They're built, they're built for big 12 little scat receivers and, and guys running around. Like they aren't built for six, six, two sixty five running down your teeth and throwing a jump ball at the rim and having him go up and get it. Yeah. I mean, you saw how much Casey Thompson plugged him in that first game. Like if he's back, I can see this, this could be a 10, 11 catch day for vocal and hopefully a couple of tutties. Yeah. Okay, so um, at this point, offense, give me a player to watch on both sides. You know, uh, I think the player to watch is Vokalek if he's back. You know, I'm going to say Vokalek if he's back. Can he be that game changer that we need? Um, I think that if he's not back, I want to say Marcus Washington again. Um, I think, can he build off of this really strong performance? Can Can he emerge as wide receiver one? You know, I think that him and Trey Palmer are kind of neck and neck right now, and they kind of switch roles of, who's wide receiver one, who's wide receiver two. But, you know, is he, is he on the path to emerging as wide receiver one? Um, 
One thing something. I'll say about him too is he's an excellent blocker. He does oh, his he's, job yeah, he, he, blocking. What, yeah, I mean, they pulled him around a few times last night and had him on the edge, and he went up, and he's not afraid to dig his nose in there. And you have, you have my instant respect as a receiver if you'll put your nose and go block someone. Instant respect. You don't do the little, like, patty cake and, like, no. He wants to go and, like, get after people. I love that. Uh-huh. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, I'm just going to say – our safeties because I need to see our safeties come up and tackle better miles farmer and that whole crew needs to come up and be a difference maker in the box in the run game. You know, it, you can't, you can't play the defense that we want to play and not have safeties that are willing to come up and get dirty and, and do their dirty work. So I'm going to have all eyes on them this week too. Are they shooting their gun? Are they taking good angles? Are they doing all the things that they need to do to be effective? Um, because if they're not, we need to find someone who will. Did you play? You played Oklahoma, right? Um, I played them. We lost to them in the Big 12 championship in 2010. Uh, we were up 17 to nothing. And then Taylor Martinez threw a pick, 200 jet tornado. I could never forget the play. I threw a pick in the corner of the end zone right before half. And then the rails came off and we lost. So, But you never went to Norman. No, we were going to go to Norman the year we went to the Big 10. The okay. year we transferred and went up to the Big Ten, I never got to play in Norman. I never got to play in Austin, two places I really wanted to play as a kid. And Oklahoma never played in Lincoln when you were They hit. came in 09 when I wasn't playing. I was redshirting. Um, I think we won like 9-7 to seven or something <laughs> like that. Like our offense couldn't do diddly squat. The only way we scored is because Prince of Mukamara picked the ball off, took it down to the two, and we threw a play action to tie, to Rhino um, Hill in the back. And then after that, we couldn't do anything. But that was where our defense – I top three loudest I've ever heard Memorial Stadium. 2009, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Dominican Sue, Jared Crick, the freaking defense that was just unbelievable. Like, that is by far one of the loudest I've ever heard Memorial. 2009? Yeah. And that was – Oklahoma had a good offense that year too. Yeah, I mean, that was Sam Bradford. That was um, Murray. That was Kenny Stills. Like, they had some dudes now. I mean, they had Gerald McCoy on the other side all of the ball. All guys that are pretty, all yeah, dudes all that are league. playing. Like that, well, the, Sam Bradford's the, not, but the amount of McCoy. NFL, The amount of NFL talent that was on the field oh. on both sides of the ball for 09 yeah. Nebraska and Oklahoma was insane. Like, it was like you had Prince Mukamara, first-round pick. You had Eric Hag, who played in the NFL. Ndamukong Sue, first-round pick. Jared Trent Crick. Williams. Trent Bradford. Williams. I mean. Because OU Nebraska went, like, what, one, two, three, four, or something like that? Yeah, it was insane. Yeah. It was wild. Like, that was so fun. I'm glad I didn't play in that game because <laughs> I was not ready to play. But to watch that game was so cool. Well, so I, I brought that up because it is going to be electric. There are a ton of mm. OU fans that are traveling up. This means a lot when I was told OU when this series was announced and when it was being planned last year. And then it, this means a lot to the OU fan base. And then now being here, I know it means a lot to this fan base. It's going to be just an incredible atmosphere to be a part of. And I know that there's a lot of OU fans. I've been asked for probably 200 times for tickets, but there Don't are Don't you do of, it. Don't I, you I'm, cross that line. Don't you cross that line, Jessica. <laughs> I'm not, but there's going to be a lot of fans from OU that travel up and, you know, just the his- history between these two teams, it's going to be spectacular. If you can't get up for this one. Right. That's what I mean. Husker Nation will get up. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt. We will We will get up. We will yep. be there. We will be in full force. It is Oklahoma. It is Nebraska. I hope the players can match the fans' intensity because, yeah, it's going to be electric. It's going to be fun. I will be listening to it on the radio from 12,000 feet. 
but I cannot wait to listen to this football game and listen and hope that the Huskers show up with passion and energy and fight and really fight this Oklahoma team for 60 minutes on both sides of the ball. All right. Last thing for Nebraska to pull off an upset, what the Huskers need to do. We need to take the ball away from them. We need to steal possessions from Oklahoma. You know, I think that stops are great. You know, we need to get those, but to beat a team like Oklahoma, you have to steal possessions and give your offense a short field interceptions, tip balls, fumbles, sack fumbles. Like we need to get two of those at least and let our offense. And then on the flip side, offensively, we have to control the clock. We have to control the clock with the run game. You know, we can't go out and do quick three and outs. Quick three and outs are the death against this team because they'll go out and say our defense does get a stop, right? And then all of a sudden we go out there and run three pass plays or a run play. It's a negative yardage and we throw it and it's out and we wasted 30 seconds. We can't do that. So we have to get takeaways. We have to flip the field. And then we have to control the clock with good, balanced offense of run and pass. And then on special teams, no blunders. Just play a clean game, right? Kick it out of the back of the end zone, Frankie. Don't kick it out of bounds. Make our kicks if they're inside 30. And then punter, Buscemi, keep doing your thing. You know, those are those are the things that we need to do to win this football game. I will say this. I think Nebraska has a better quarterback. I would agree. I would 100% agree with you. Yeah, I think Nebraska has the better quarterback. I think the offenses are very comparable. Um, I give the nod to the Oklahoma O-line just a little bit. Um, but, you know, I think the offense is very comparable. Where we'll see is if that our defense can match the physicality that the OU defense is going to come in here with. All right. Well, I think that'll about wrap it up. We I think we covered it all, right? Have to. You have to cover it all. I will see you guys next week. Um, again, I am out of here. I'm going to chase bull elk in the mountains. I cannot freaking wait. But you got again, one last will... year, right? My dad did. My dad got one last year. It's my turn. I got to show the old man that the young guy can still do it. And then you're going to have your kids eat it, right? Absolutely. Elk is superfood. <laughs> Anytime you eat something that has to run away for a living, superfood. All right. Well, um, I guess we'll check in with you. Have fun. Go get that elk. Absolutely. Go Big Red. All right. And again, this is the Sideline Slice presented by Valentino's Pizza. Thanks for listening. Family traditions mean great food. With treasured Italian family recipes passed down for generations, Valentino's has become Nebraska's classic Italian tradition for 65 years.